Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning is from Proverbs chapter 25, verse 23. The north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue and angry countenance. Now this is a challenging proverb on a couple fronts. First, the north wind in Israel doesn't typically bring rain. The rain comes from the northwest or from the west, not from the north. Also, the verb has been translated as brings forth rain, but it has also been translated as drives away rain. Technically, it's about birth pains. The meaning could be either or. Rain from the north is cold and bitter, which is unpleasant or bad. Or the wind which drives the rain away would have been cold and harsh. The correlation, though, to the remainder of the verse changes depending on how you render it, though, and it probably means both and. The literal translation of the second half of the verse is this, and and an angry face, a secret tongue. And that can be reversed. In Hebrew, it it can be, they put object and subject, back and forth. And and so it invites us to to wrestle with it. The end result is that we can put this together in a number of ways and all of them to good purpose. First, as a north wind drives away rain, so an angry countenance puts a stop to the slandering tongue. This is the way the King James Version puts it. People who engage in slander, in surreptitious sin, They don't like to have their actions brought into the limelight. If they are called out for it, they are likely to stop. If you get angry and bring it up, that would be good for everybody involved. This means that it is wise to confront this kind of sin head on. And some anger may well be warranted, only don't forget the caveat that scripture always gives us, be angry and do not sin. A second way to take this proverb is, as a north wind produces rain, a cold demeanor or an austere countenance produces secrets. Now this is not nearly as common of an interpretation, but there's truth here. Where there is no trust or peace or open communication between people, where fear drives a community, there's an abundance of suspicion which amounts to a lack of love. Love hopes all things. Love thinks no evil. And perfect love casts out all fear. Third and the most common interpretation of this proverb is this. As a north wind brings rain, slander results in anger. In application, this is pretty straightforward. Tailbearers cause strife. Proverbs 26, verse 20. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no tailbearer, strife ceases. Another application of this is that we ought to identify fruit. We ought to see the fruits 
that we see and identify them. So if you can see the results of sin, strife, anger, fighting, frustration, then you can be sure that a root is, is somewhere around, and speaking behind people's backs is a common one. In all of this, we affirm the teaching of Scripture, that sins of the tongue are very serious. Moses tells us, Cursed is the one who attacks his neighbor secretly. Three of the seven things that the Lord hates and are abominations to him in Proverbs are a lying tongue, a false witness, and one who sows discord among brethren. Peter tells us to lay aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. And Jesus warns us in Matthew 12 that for every idle word that men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Likewise, Paul informs us that the marks of faith are in direct opposition to wicked tongues. Ephesians 4. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And Titus 3. Remind them to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. So if you're willing and able, please kneel. And we remembered and celebrated the gift and the person of the Holy Spirit. God works in our world through Him. The Holy Spirit is the vital vehicle or mode or medium by which God communicates to us. He uses His Spirit. And He affects His will in the world through His Spirit. So when we see God's will being done on the earth, it's the power of the Spirit at work. And this is glorious and it's important for us to grasp because it affects every, areas of, every area of our lives. Like Jesus said, we can't see Him, but we can see His work. We can see the effects of His presence. Last Sunday was Pentecost. Today is Trinity Sunday. And today we celebrate the unified work of the three persons of our God. The end result of God's revealing himself in the world as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is a new creation. The work of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, God the Father's creation, the redemption accomplished by the Son, and the application of this gospel to mankind draws men into God's life and it saves the world as we just read from John 3 the gospel makes us children of God and heirs of God we are a people who are defined by the Trinity which is why we are baptized into the triune name we enter into the life of the triune and true God who has revealed himself in this way in his Bible. And so we take on his work. The work that you and I are called to do as Christians in this world is the work of the true God. 
by means of worship, faith, and obedience, we become the hands and feet of Christ. And this life of faith means two things, two things for us. First, it means that we enter into Jesus' sufferings. Jesus said that taking up our cross was part of following him. The world that we live in, the world that we minister in, is a fallen world. The world is at enmity with God. And Jesus warned us that if the world was going to mistreat him, it surely would mistreat us. So it means suffering for us. But it, but it also means that we can have the promises of the gospel. In the suffering that we endure on behalf of Christ, we know that we have the promises of the gospel. We know that we have peace with God. We know that we have eternal life. We know that we have glory, an inheritance, a promised gift that God has for us if we will enter into it in faith. So entering into suffering has a one-to-one -one correspondence with entering into glory. The fact that we suffer for Christ means that we can have assurance that we are Christ's, that we belong to the God that we serve. Our text this morning is Romans 8, verses 12 through 19. At the beginning of this chapter, Paul cites our freedom from the condemnation of sin, the condemnation of the law, because Jesus Christ has atoned for our sin and applied that atonement to us who live according to the Spirit, as opposed to living according to the flesh. Verses 5 through 11 explain how the Spirit and the flesh, as ways of living, are diametrically opposed to one another. It's, it's the complete opposite. If you live according to the flesh, it's the complete opposite from living according to the spirit. It's life versus death. It's belonging to God or being an enemy of God. It's obedience to God. It's keeping the law or it's rebellion against him and his law. The difficulty of, of this all is that it happens under the hood, so to say. The, the effects are evident, but, but it happens inside of us. You can see the effects, but you can't see the wind. The Spirit's working inside of us. You can see the fruits of the Spirit in your life, but you can't see the Spirit himself. You can't, it's not like... If you're a Christian, you turn blue, and if you're not a Christian, you stay whatever color you were. It doesn't work like that. It's under the hood. But in Christ, God remakes us. He renews us so that we do then live the life of faith that has the fruit of the Spirit. And this section closes, verses 5 through 11, closes with a promise and a hope. Verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, though His Spirit, through His Spirit, who dwells in you. So here we have a promise and a hope. If the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, 
He will give life to us, to our mortal bodies. Under the hood, we will experience the power of the Spirit. These fleshly bodies are filled with spiritual life in Christ. And the reason that I'm spending so much time here in verse 11 is because our text starts with the word, therefore. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Why are we debtors? What's the therefore, therefore? Because the Spirit of God dwells in you and in me. And he will give life to our mortal bodies. Because God has taken us from death and put us in life, we are debtors. Now, because we have life is more than just the fact that we breathe in and breathe out. That we walk around. That our hearts beat. What, what Paul's talking about here is we participate in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. We partake of the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. It means that we can actually keep the law. We can actually accomplish the righteousness of God. Back in verse 4, Paul tells us that God saved us in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So God gives us life so that we can keep His law, but the life that we have, that life is so much more than, we, than, than, it, than registers with us so frequently. Uh, for, for us, we think, oh, heaven, oh, you know, resurrection, and absolutely heaven and resurrection. But you participate in that already. And this brings us to our text. Because you have that kind of life. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Verses 12 and 13. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we are debtors. And here we, we see that the debt is a given. You, uh, there, there's a song that says, everybody serves somebody. Everybody serves somebody. And it's a choice that we have. We are, we are either slaves, we are in bondage to fear, or we are in bondage to Christ. We are all debtors. Debt is a given. We're all recipients of life in the first place. The new, and then new life in Christ. So we are twice over debtors. Not only did God make us and create us, which was enough to make us debtors to Him, but now He's redeemed us and purchased us from the sin that we've committed. He's, he's atoned for us. And Paul reminds us that to whom much is given, much is required. His comment, not to the flesh, we're debtors, not to the flesh. That seems a little redundant or superfluous. And in one sense, it absolutely is. Paul says, we are debtors, not to the flesh. Well, obviously, what's the context here? God saved us. He gives us life. He gives us a spirit. That's what we're debtors for. But even though it's superfluous in one sense, 
it is absolutely necessary in another. Paul is a Jedi master of the fallen human heart. He gets us. He knows that he has to say this. He knows he has to repeat himself. He knows the need to be obvious when he sees it. We need constant reminders that this is life and death we are talking about. It's life and death. Don't lose your focus. Keep your eye on the prize. The aim is eternal life. It's heaven. It's in the eternal and unlimited glory of the God of heaven. Living by the flesh equals death, while killing our natural fallen instincts is life. So in order to live, we must kill. We have to put to death the deeds of the body. Our obedience, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Putting the death to death the deeds of the body is obedience. That's what that is. It's taking our, our fallen hearts who want to serve ourselves, who want to disobey God, who want to be bitter, to be angry, to take offense, and saying, no, I'm not going to do that. That's dead to me. I'm going to look in faith to the God of heaven. I'm going to look in faith to Christ. I'm going to obey what he says to do in his word. I'm going to love my enemies. I'm going to pray for those who persecute me. That obedience, that sacrifice of self is proof of life. And that proof, that life that we have is then proof of our debt. It's, it's all the more so. Because you sacrifice yourself, your debt is that much more because God's giving you the gift of faithfulness. It's a gift. You didn't earn it. Yes, you did it. You entered into the work that God was doing. It's a gift. But the debt we owe is because we are adopted by God. That's why we owe a debt. It's because God created us and then he adopted us. We rejected him. We, we embraced death and sin. And he has called us out of that. He's redeemed us. So we owe a debt because we are adopted. Verses 14 through 16. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So here Paul contrasts two kinds of debt, and they're affiliated with two different spirits. Now, the debt is because we are adopted. If we are led by the Spirit, if we have proof of our debt, and the cause of our debt is that we are called sons of God. The reason we owe God is because we are His sons. But think about that. What we purchase in believing the Gospel is a glorious moniker name, epithet, our nickname. We are sons of the living God. That's why we owe God. Because he's adopted us. 
in the Spirit, by gift of God, we are drawn into God's family. He looks at us as one of his own. He identifies with us. We're identified by his name. We're baptized into his name. We are granted as a free gift his grace and favor. That's why our debt is so big. The majesty of this promise and the magnitude of the debt is highlighted then by Paul's clarification. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. So the debt's amazing already. We are sons of God. But he highlights that with, well, this is where you're coming from. Don't go back to that. We didn't trade life for life. We didn't trade, well, I'm afraid of life to now I'm afraid of God. Not that kind of fear. We don't trade one fear for another fear in the same way. We aren't taken from death to death or from slavery to bondage. What we were in was death. What we were in was slavery. What we were in was bondage. And that was the life of the flesh. But God has graciously drawn us out of that. But what it was, the fact that it was bondage to fear, is worth mentioning. Life outside of Christ is a life driven by fear. That's what we were delivered from. There's nothing for us but fear outside of the gospel. In the end, every man owes God gratitude and obedience. And in the end, every man is a sinner who has violated the laws of God. And in the end, every man stands at the judgment seat of God. That's what Romans 1 tells us, that all men know in their heart of hearts we stand condemned before God, the God of all creation. And the just condemnation of the law rests squarely on our shoulders unless we are covered by the blood and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Unless that is our scenario, we are damned for all eternity because we deserve God's condemnation. So that life outside of Christ makes you fear's whipping boy. Every accusation that the devil throws at you sticks. You're that vile. You're that wicked. This means that you're at the mercy of cruel men. You're at the mercy of a harsh world. And you're at the mercy of your own conscience. You stand condemned. You should be afraid if you are not covered by Christ. When you have no sure foundation, you have no solid ground to stand on. And death comes to all. No matter how sure of themselves they look in this life. No matter how good they make this life look. Death is the great equalizer. In the end, you cannot save yourself. And the only answer is found in Jesus Christ, through whom we receive the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of adoption. 
So God takes away our fears. He takes away our condemnation. And he gives us an inheritance. In Christ, we know our position with God is secure by his spirit. We have peace and we cry out to God in our souls in an intimate and a close way. Abba, Father. The term Abba is an Aramaic word meaning Father. So basically it's saying Father, Father. But Aramaic was the familiar language of the Jews in Israel. It was their, the, their, their native tongue. The point is that God's fatherhood toward us is close and intimate. He cares about you. He cares what's going on in your life. He hears what you say. He listens to you. He's right here. His spirit is in us. His spirit communicates to us our belonging to him. We know security because we belong to him. We know this because his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That he's our father. That he loves us. His spirit fills us then with love for him and for each other. He grants us a home, a place. He gives us safety and security and he eliminates fear because he's given us victory over death. That's the sting of sin. That's the sting of the law, is death. God's eliminated that. The life we live is a new life that is bold and it casts out fear. So be bold. Embrace your sonship in God. Pray. Pray intimately. Pray about the details of your life. Pray about what concerns you. Bring it to God in faith, trusting that He knows what's good for you, and He has the power to do what's good for you. Be bold and pray. If we are children of God, then we are debtors indeed. And the debt only increases as time progress progresses. Verses 17 through 19. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. So our debt increases in time because God's grace multiplies in time. In Christ, we're set free from condemnation. And as children of God, we now participate in his immense wealth. We are heirs, and what God has for us is twofold. Suffering and glory, as I mentioned at the introduction. Suffering is a necessary component of our lives. Suffering is a necessary component of the path to glory. Patient endurance in the present time is vital. Paul tells us, I consider the sufferings of this present time. Now, 
goes right on to say that they're not worthy to be compared. But he's talking about suffering here and now. And it's absolutely necessary because suffering is bearing witness to God's presence in your life in this world. Believing on the gospel is seeing through the veil that is created uh, in material existence on the earth. God created the earth. God made it. He made you. He made me. And he's working in it. And he's telling a story in it. But sin has twisted the story. Sin has complicated it. And because sin has complicated it, men buy into the lie that there is no God. They buy into the lie that God doesn't care. They buy into the lie that Jesus is not Lord of heaven and earth. And because men buy into that lie, and because nature participates in that futility and in that vanity, we living here are in a war. And the war means suffering. But the suffering that we do is done in faith because we know that there's, there's a final outcome that's guaranteed. Believing on the gospel sees through the mist of this world and sees God's hand in all of it. We see the God who is behind it. We look through the veil to our heavenly home. We look through the stuff all around us and we see God. And because he is king, because he is lord, and because he governs all things and there's no help outside of him, we submit ourselves and our property entirely to him. We offer ourselves as a reasonable sacrifice on the altar of Christ because it is our debt. It's what we owe. Everything that we are, everything that we have, we owe to God. And we know it. So we give it to Him. It's His. We belong to Him. And we know the promise of the gospel. We know the end of that faithfulness is eternal life and salvation. We believe that the God that we serve is good. Our God works all things together for good for us. We believe the suffering is worth it. It's not worthy to be compared with the glory that's coming for us. We believe those things. We embrace those things. So endure, by all means, believe the gospel, embrace it. Whatever God is asking of you in your life, he cares, he knows what it is, and he's giving you the tools to handle it in his word and in his body, through his spirit. Endure. If God's asking of your time, give it. If he's asking you to give up your preferences for life, or your goals, or your dreams, for his, trade it in a heartbeat. If he's asking you to endure hard personality conflicts or relationships, if he's putting you in, in, in rough circumstances, trust him through it. If he gives you pain, or illness, or grief, or tension, Give it back to him. Say, God, I'm yours to do with as you please. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. If God's asking for you to work, then work for him. 
submit everything that you are and everything that you have to Him. Submit yourself to His law and His law of love. Don't buy into the law, the lie of the flesh. Don't turn back to the death that is self-service. Stand up for Christ. Stand up for justice and truth. Bear witness for Christ boldly. Pray and endure hardship with grace. That's a big thing to take on. It's not light. The Christian gospel is not a walk in the park. Jesus asks it all from you. But we do it joyfully and gladly because we believe the triune God's plan is merciful and is bigger than we can ask or imagine. He is patient, he's deliberate, and his means of saving the world and honoring his name is love. But love is sacrificial. He's teaching us to love. He's teaching us to serve him faithfully. So through the pain and suffering of love, God is restoring creation and he is remaking us into his image. As we enter into his service. And as we bring glory to him in that, we are made joint heirs with him of the glory. We're drawn into his life. We are given his name. We are given a purpose which aligns with him and his goals. We're being remade into his image. All of creation eagerly anticipates the glory that is coming, the glory that will be revealed in us. Because that's what the world was created for. When we live by the Spirit of God and serve the Father in fellowship with the Son, when we praise God and worship Him with all of our strength, the world rejoices. Because this is how God saves the world. And this is how He brings peace and justice and life to the earth. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, let's pray. tremendous salvation and freedom that we know in Jesus Christ that the Father sent him to die for us and raised him to rule over all the earth and he has given this to us individually and intimately by his Holy Spirit we are his children joined to him through Jesus and that communion is what we celebrate here this sacrament signifies and seals our union with Christ as we look to God in faith by the power of His Spirit. He gives us eyes to see His work all around us, enter into it with a good will, knowing His presence and peace. This table is for baptized believers who are under the authority of Christ and His body, the Church. When we eat this bread and drink this wine, we acknowledge that we are all sinners. 
and that we don't have any hope except in the sovereign mercy of God, and that we trust alone in Jesus Christ for our, our salvation. Christ's body, broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.